All right. Good to see you. Uh, we've been looking at uh, Psalm 84, about the high, and we've been talking about the highways to Zion. And we spoke about the difference between destiny, dream, and uh, destination. And, uh, I, and so today I'd like to say a little bit more about this as uh, we look at Psalm 84 again. And uh, I'd like to look at especially uh, three verses in Psalm 84, which I think are important as a core. So if you can turn with me, I'm looking at the ESV, uh, at Psalm 84, verse 5. Last week, we spoke about the fact that God can put, puts highways in our heart. In our heart, there are these grooves and there's these um, um, currents that actually not naturally have a way of naturally ta- taking us towards uh, closer to Him, to behold Him. Verse 5, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Zion speaks of the spiritual reality in which God fulfills His purposes, His presence, His glory is there. Um, in Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about we've come to us not having come to Sinai, but to Zion, the place in which there's innumerable company of angels and, and spirits of, the, of, uh, of people who have been sanctified by God, uh, where the presence of God is. Yeah? Zion is uh, almost the fulfillment of all God's hearts, uh, desires for us, and where we uh, desire to be. The presence of God. As they go from the Valley of Bakar, the Valley of Tears, we spoke about that last, last week, they make it a place of springs. As they go through the Valley of Tears or the Valley of Bakar, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. And each one appears before God in Zion. We spoke about the fact that there is a strength to strength dynamic in which we experience a reality in which even though even as we are looking forward to seeing God's physical presence or, or presence in, in, in actuality and in, 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 in concrete reality, we want to see the promises of God fulfilled in our lives, promises that don't get separated from the presence of God, from God Himself, and promises of uh, well-being that are not separated from God. Um, even as we do that, uh, Psalm 84 speaks about this fantastic thing. A, it's a singular um, um, uh, reality in which even before we reach our destination, even before we reach the outcomes, we can actually experience the presence of these, this, this, this working of God along the way. And along the way, we can experience God's presence. And uh, it's very interesting that um, this, this chapter, Psalm 84, is a chapter that portrays the, the pilgrimage of a particular saint or a particular group of saints towards temple in Jerusalem once a year. And so it is, um, it's believed that these, this psalm, Psalm 84, was sung along the way to Zion. But this, this chapter also speaks about a certain passage in their pilgrimage towards Zion that is called the Valley of Bakar. This is a valley of tears. It's a valley in which it's not that exciting. It is not that fun. There's a way in which, uh, in that passage to Jerusalem, as the people from all over Israel make their way towards, towards Jerusalem, there's joy and there's thanksgiving, there's singing and there's anticipation and a lot. And then there's the Valley of Baca. And the Valley of Baca is a passage that we all go through in which there's tears, there's parched ground. Um, many commentators believe that that area was uh, just outside Jer- Jerusalem, but it was a parched ground, a very, very dry area, full of cracks, uh, a very uh, hazardous area as well, and uh, with great dangers as well. So um, I want to talk a little bit about that because there are times in which we all as Christians experience along the way to God's fulfillment of His promises along the way towards seeing God in Zion, so to speak. We experience these things. And we talked a little bit about this last Sunday, 
But today I'd like to go a little bit further, go a bit deeper, because I think there's much to be spoken. I'm going to read it again. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in God, in whose hearts are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Bakar, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. So there is in this particular highway, this highway to Zion that's in the heart, there's a prospect in which we can actually experience going from strength to strength. If we have our strength in God, we actually get stronger and stronger, not actually weaker and weaker or, or more and more listless, but actually stronger and stronger, even in the midst of Bakar. We are used to experiencing passages in which when we go through Bakar, or go to, through the valley of weeping, we actually lose heart. But that's not actually God's pur- purpose. He's actually intended for us that it's in this valley of Bakar, we experience the outpouring of rain or the Holy Spirit, so to speak. The outpouring of springs and the st- outpouring of strength, from strength to strength. I hope that uh, at the end of the, the message, you will get an idea that actually in this place, the valley of Bakar, the place of tears, the place of tremendous drought, God has appointed for us the infinite power, presence, and strength of God across that gap that Cindy was speaking about. That, I, I, that is what I believe God has for us. In order for that to do, we need to ask God to help us. Okay, so let's turn to God. Lord, we recognize that all these are just words, just ideas. Unless you come into them and speak to us and do something that only your word can do, and that is to administer through your word the very reality of what the words are speaking. We pray that we will encounter you and you will meet us today in your word that none of us will leave this place untransformed. So we ask you for that tremendous miracle that along the way, even now for us, we will experience an outpouring of of God's power, God's presence and God's refreshing upon us. We ask you that you would come and speak to us in such a way that we will not be the same again after, after this hour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. When I was about 20, 21 or 20, 22, I was part of a church planting movement. And we as very young people, most of us uh, 20, in our 20s, were excited about the fact that we could uh, plant churches. And all of us took after our pastor, our founder, who had planted several churches out of nothing. Yeah. And he told us many, many stories about how God supernaturally did amazing things, miracles. But more importantly, he gave us a sense of how hard it was to plant churches. I mean, my, my, my church planting movement wasn't like most church planting movements. Like most people went out two by two. We all went out one by one. And we went out with hardly anything. We didn't even, were not even given money to actually go out. We were, had to go out from scratch. But we were 20, 20, 21, 22. We just graduated out of, of college. And we were thinking, yeah, we want to see God. We really want to see God. And if God can do all these things, bully for us, man. And so at 22, you are, think, you are so excited. You say, give me a chance. Give me a chance. And we had, had an inheritance in this particular church planting movement of leaders who had done it. And so my pastor used to tell us about all these guys who had been before and, and had planted churches ahead of us. People who uh, came from really rich families, who had gone to, gone to school in New Zealand and come back and paid the price to, become in, to go into full-time ministry, the, the suffering they went through, and, uh, and the 
and, and the amazing things that God did, did through them when they went and plant, planted churches. At that time, we had about 16 churches, right? 15 or 16 churches. And I wanted to be part of it. And so I, I was captured by the fact that God could do amazing things, that it was not easy, it was difficult, but it was heroic as well. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's, a, it's a fired up by this. man. When you get to 40, 50, 60, maybe you not, may not feel the same way. But at the 22, you feel, yes, yes, I want to do this. And so I got my chance. I got my chance. And, I, and, and, and they all prayed for me and sent me out and go prophetic words and all that. And I had received words from God about this place that I was going to go to plant a church. I went alone. Uh, there were no partners. And I was excited by the fact that I was going without any money. I don't know about you guys, but I was so excited at such a prospect. No money to go out. And the first thing that they said to me is, okay, go. And I said, where's the bus fare? Oh yeah, I forgot, no money. <laughs> and I had to pray for money so that I can go. Money came. And so we went. I went to this town. And when I got to this town, there was this couple that was there um, who let me stay in their house while we negotiated the rent for a shop lot and it would be on the second floor uh, and we would, we, would, we, we would have our church there. There was nobody in the church except for this couple. And as time went on, people would come and people would go and, uh, and we would have our meetings and all that. And so slowly, the people who would come regularly stopped coming stopped coming, and before long, nobody was coming. After about six to seven months, I began to feel very, very desolate, very, very desolate. I felt really lonely. I would wait for the postman to come, or as you say here, mailman to come, at 11 o'clock, and when he would come at 11.15, I'd feel so let down that I had to wait another 15 minutes, and I would pour over all the mail that would come, mostly junk mail, but I was so lonely that junk mail felt like a comfort to me. I read all the junk mail, word for word. I go, I felt so lonely that I would buy every day, uh, every morning, go out to the shop, buy a newspaper. I don't know how I had the money to do that, but I bought a newspaper. And I found comfort in the fact that as I was reading the newspaper, there was someone talking to me, the newspaper. And I felt that uh, after a while, the fun and the prospect of fulfilling God's call upon my life was no longer there. It felt rotten to the core. It just felt discouraging. It felt so discouraging that I felt that my faith in God began to ebb and flow and then it would ebb and then it would ebb and then it would ebb. It came to a point where I didn't even want to go to heaven because God seemed so far away. The whole prospect of Christianity just felt so, uh, so unappetizing. There's something about discouragement and, uh, and, um, and disappointment that has a way of eating up all your zeal. And that's what happened for me. And it was, I remember that, at that point, dreading a Sunday, dreading a Sunday, because you wake up and then you'd see, you don't even know who's going to be there. You know, who's going to be there? And uh, some, there were times in which nobody actually came to church. This went on for about a year, on and off. Sometimes one, sometimes two, sometimes three, sometimes five. Sometimes we had a record attendance of 10, and that was, that was what it was. It has a way of wearing upon you, yeah, wearing upon you. Sometimes the road, the highway to Zion, is like that. And sometimes the road 
to Zion comes to this place we call the, the Valley of Bakar, where disappointment has just taken place. And this disappointment has had an effect upon you, so much so that you're depleted, you're, you're, you're physically depleted, you're spiritually depleted in that place. I want to put it to you that these are all necessary parts of our Christian life. If that happens to you, do not freak out. You are not necessarily out of the will of God. Because the valley of Baca is a necessary part of it so that we can experience the pools of water and the wells and the springs. If you don't go through the valley of, of, of Baca, you don't experience supernatural springs. But I want to put it to you as plainly, as boldly as, as I can, that um, there are times in which the emotional exhilaration of being a Christian completely drains out. Completely drains out. I'd like to speak about those times because whether you're going through it or not, these are inevitable and a necessary part of our Christian life. Amen? It says here that um, if our strength in, in, is in Him, our strength is in you, verse 5 says, and, and, in, uh, and if our hearts have those highways to Zion, when we go through the valley of Bakar, they will make it a place of springs. And they will go from strength to strength. And each one of them will find its desti destiny Fulfilled in being before God in Zion. Okay. Um, when I first came to America, one of the things that um, was exciting about the, our church plant when, when we first started was the fact that uh, many people were inspired about going into full-time ministry. They had heard stories and all that, and they loved going to they all wanted to go full-time. In fact, we had half of our church knocking on our door saying, can I go full-time? They all wanted to go to full-time. And then when I talked to them about going into full-time ministry, they would, and I would ask them, why do you want to go into full-time ministry? Now, I had a picture of full-time ministry as something that was quite different from what they had. My idea of full-time ministry is like, you have to really depend upon God, you have nothing, and God comes to you and does things out of that nothing. Right? I began to realize that they didn't have the same idea. Most of them gave the reason why they wanted to go full-time, because they said their joy meets other people's need. And they felt they wanted to go full-time ministry because it was enjoyable to do ministry. Yeah? It's enjoyable to do ministry. Okay, all right, that's good. I, and, you know, I said, yeah, it is, it is enjoyable, very enjoyable. It's, like, it's nothing like doing ministry with the joy of the Lord. Right? But then the more and more we, we kind of talked about it, the more I realized that the reason why they were wanting to go into ministry was because of the fact that they enjoyed it. There's an enjoyment about doing the things of God. It's enjoyable. It's, there's a thrill in it, there's fun in it, and there's just, it's amazing being part of that community of people who are doing that. And then I realized that the, they didn't have a call from God. They were wanting to do it because this was the thing they want to do most in life. Out of their college experience, they've experienced, you know, being involved in InterVarsity and all that. They love that. They wanted to go into full-time ministry. But by the time they got involved in ministry after college, the more they got involved in it, the more difficult it seemed. The more they faced ugly faces and ugly words, and ugly people. The more they saw it, they saw the ugliness in their own heart, and they, they felt, this is actually very, very difficult. And every single one of them who wanted to go full-time 
that I had spoken to at the initial did not want to go full-time after they had given them a, a little bit of a test, a little bit of a, a trial period. It was too difficult. It's too difficult. In, and I want to say that that actually can happen a lot in us. See, a lot of times, God takes us upon these journeys in which the hope of what God has for us shines very brightly for us. And the, 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 the shininess, the fun of it, the enjoyment, the emotional exhilaration of doing ministry, the fact that you're helping people and that people are grateful to you and people's lives are actually helped by, by the things that you do, is a, it's, a real, it's, a real, uh, it's a real positive. Yeah? It's a real positive. I would put it to you that you haven't experienced the real calling yet. Because there will come a time in which all this disappears. And the reason for your calling into God's service or into God's path for you begins to lose all those emotional uplifts that are there. And when that happens, then the calling comes up. The calling begins to appear at Bakar, exactly that point. It's at that point where the springs also appear. It's at that point where the outpourings, the early rains begin to come. You don't actually know about your calling until you come to that place. Everything before that is fun. Everything about it is a dream in which you want to do this kind of stuff because it's fun. You haven't come to the calling yet. But when the calling comes, you will have no real emotional reason to carry on. There's no positive enforcement that becomes the attraction for going on this road. I want to put it to you that if you're experiencing such a thing in your life today, in which you experience the dryness, the, the lack of reward, the lack of appreciation, the lack of fun in it, now is the time where God wants to do great things in your life. Amen? Now, I want, I'm, going to, I'm going to try to prove it to you that this is really true, and it happens in Scripture as well. Yeah? God is calling you, and He is calling you, but the calling will only be tested and authenticated when you hit the, the valley of Bakar. Where after you've done everything that you've done that to, 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 to make everybody happy, you find yourself desolate. And I experienced that in this place that I had been sent to. Um, And it's in this place where God begins to change the substance of our, 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 our heart, begins to change the substance of our soul from one in which we are following God for the blessings to one in which we are following God because God is pulling us along. And God's drawing us in. And the highways to Zion are operating. Where we begin to experience the currents of God. And you begin to dis distinguish between the currents of God and the currents of our own fleshly desires and our fresh fleshly enjoyment of things. Where when enjoyment comes to an end, calling begins. Okay. And if you are at this place where the enjoyment has gone out of your spiritual life, I want to encourage you today, as we look into the scriptures, that calling is now going to come forth more. Right? God has something for you in which uh, on this highway, supernatural things will actually happen. All right, let's go into it. There was a man who had uh, come to this place, and his name is Isaac. And if you turn with me to Genesis chapter 26, we will look at his life, uh, because his life in some ways is a model or a parallel for all of us. 
Uh, Genesis chapter 26, Isaac. Now, uh, in Genesis chapter 26, we are not going to read verse 1 to verse 16. Basically, what happened is that there was a famine in the land, and he felt led to go to Gerar, which is the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines were, uh, at that time, um, uh, Proto-Phoenicians. They were were, uh, Gentiles. They were people who were a bit hostile to, um, to Isaac. He did not feel safe there. And Abimelech was the king of the, of the Philistines there at that time. And so they had just come out of an incident in which Isaac had told his wife, um, Rebecca, just to tell the people in the land that he is, she is his sister and not his wife so that they would not kill him so that the king could have uh, Rebecca because apparently Rebecca is very beautiful. And so he comes into this place and he has a terrible start in this, in this place of Gerar. But fortunately, God comes to Abimelech and shows him, just like he does with, 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 with Pharaoh, that actually Rebekah is Isaac's wife, not his sister. And he rebukes him. Uh, Isaac leaves the palace or leaves that, uh, the presence of the king with his tail between his legs. But God this does bless him in verse 12. God, Isaac sows in the land and God bless him because of Abraham. Okay? So he's an inheritor of Abraham, Abraham's blessing because he's uh, the firstborn of Abraham. and So he gets a blessing. Okay? He gets a blessing. And the Philistines get, get um, threatened by him and ask, them to, ask him to leave. So he leaves. So here we are in verse 17, okay? That's the background of this, of this that we are going about, about to read. So Isaac departed from there, verse 17, and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. So they push him to a place that's kind of dr- a dry part of, um, of uh, that, that region. So it's not a, not, a pro- uh, not a great prospect for farming. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. So Abraham had found wells, supernaturally, I think, because, because that, that was a, a very dry area. And uh, after Abraham died, the Philistines put mud into the, into the wells and stopped up the wells. Isaac goes off there and retraces the steps of Abraham, his father, to, the, to those wells. And he gave them the names, these wells, that his father had given them. Verse 19, But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, which means contention. Okay. So apparently these wells have names, and these names are names that sum up what the meaning of that experience of digging the well was. So Abraham had given names. Isaac had redug the wells of Abraham, taken the mud out, and renamed um, Abraham's wells, and sort of basically followed in the footsteps of Abraham. Okay? But then in verse 19, Isaac comes, to, comes beyond the, the wells of Abraham, and he digs, digs a well. Well, and guess what? He finds water again. That's his own well. That's his own finding. Yeah? Amazing. And when Isaac's servants, verse 19, dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsman of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsman, saying, the water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek because they contended with him. And they dug another well. And they quarreled over that also, so he called its name Sitna, which means enmity. And he moved from there, so he got kind of pushed out, and dug another well. And this time they did not quarrel over it. And so he called his, this, this place Rehobo, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us. The Lord had brought him to a broad place, and we shall be fruitful in the land. And there the Lord appeared to him. Let's stop here for a while. So here's, here's Isaac. He's, he's kind of pushed out of, of Philistines. So he follows the circumstance. Okay? The circumstance forces him in there. And so he follows God. 
Psalm 84 says, in the heart there are highways to Zion. There's a way in which God, through circumstances sometimes, leads us into places that that don't seem to be that great. And Isaac was pushed into the valley. And the first thing he did was to go to Abraham's wells to be able to recapture the thing that God had done in Abraham's life. Right? So Abraham had dug wells. Those wells have been covered over. They have been lay, laid dormant. And so what he does is he relives these things and the wells begin to open up springs again and he experiences this. This is a really good, good thing for us to, to know. We have an inheritance. We have an inheritance. And that inheritance actually blesses us. And Isaac is a person of inheritance. He didn't really need to do anything much by, up to that time. He just inherited the blessing of Abraham. He went to Gerar. He got blessed. God blessed ten times. Wherever he went, he was blessed. He didn't have to do much. He enjoyed the blessing of Abraham. And he came into, as, as he was pushed out of Gerar, he went and he opened up the, bless, the, the wells again. And he began to experience the thing that Abraham experienced. But he was experiencing it secondhand because of the fact that it was Abraham who found the well. It was Abraham who found the springs in spite of the fact that the springs were hard to find. Okay? But he was kind of piggybacking on his father's blessing. He was piggybacking on his father's relationship with God. Up to that point, the covenant that God had given to Abraham was upon Abraham. God told, told Abraham, it's for you and your children and your children's children as well. Isaac had not experienced it himself firsthand. He was a recipient of the blessing. He got the blessing, but he hadn't got the inheritance yet. Does it make sense? Even though the inheritance was for him. But he hadn't experienced it in real time, in, the, in, in, in real life yet. So what he did was really smart. He went back to that tradition the stream, the highway that God had built with, with Abraham. And he says, I want to get back there because I want that kind of covenant that, that, that my father Abraham had with God. Does that make sense? He wasn't trying to be original. He just wanted to go back to the stream of what God was doing in Abraham. He did not know how to do it himself. He just went back to Abraham's stream and he got the blessing. I must say, this is something that that we begin with in our, in our Christian life, we actually experience the blessing of older Christians, churches. I experienced the blessing from my parents because they were godly people. And as a result of that, I am a recipient of their godliness. There are certain things that happened to me that were easier than, than what happened to most people. And, I had to, and, and, and it was easier for me to believe God for, for finance and for miracles and life because my parents had lived a godly life. And they had lived lives in which miracles would happen. It was harder for me to not believe in miracles than for me to believe in miracles. Does that make sense? So I, 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 I hitched on to my, my parents' inheritance, and I, I believed the stories that I'd heard. I believe that you and, and I are recipients of the inheritance of stories of miracles that, that, that have been taking place before. I've shared with you stories about my own life, and I shared in the fall conference, there comes a time in which these stories cannot be just told. They have to go somewhere. Does that make sense? That we are, in, we are not receiving just the blessing of the, being entertained with stories of, of what other people have, gone, have experienced and have gone before us in. We are supposed to experience it. There is a blessing that comes when we hear the stories and we know that God is alive and we can have hope because of these miraculous stories. My children experience blessing because of the, 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 the faith journey that Cindy and I have, have gone. And there's a way in which I can see that for my children, there is a, a certain naturalness with which obeying God and you know, paying a price of following God seems to do to them so that they, take, they, do, they, they make choices that are faithful choices. But they are faithful choices partly because of they've received a blessing from choices that their grandparents had made and their parents and, and others before. They live with these stories. Does that make sense? They live with these stories of that kind of blessing. It's a kind of inheritance that we have. We have an inheritance. That's why I believe that, that for, for us in VCF, 
we have to we have to go past the stories we've heard because the stories are not the inheritance the stories are the seed of the inheritance they are the the sign of the inheritance but they're not the inheritance and so there's there comes a time in which no more stories can be told because they don't do anything unless we take the stories and make them our own does that make sense but Isaac knew where to go. So he went back there and he didn't try to go off on his own and say, well, God is my God and all that. I'll do something original. I'm always uh, intrigued by Branford Masalis' uh, quote. He says, lots of people give me CDs about their music and says, hey, it's original stuff. And I put them in and I listen to them. He says, it's all the same. We're not that original. I got to tell you, I, I hate to tell you that, but I know you've been affirmed and many, many of you are affirmed and you affirm your children and all that. It is okay. But if you look at it with a real critical eye, it's not that good. We're not that good, you know. Branford Masalis is great. Winton Masalis is great. We, not so. But we are acceptable before God. Amen? We, are not, we don't have an identity because we are great musicians. We have an identity because God loves us and put his name upon us, and he puts in that gap that Cindy was speaking about, that infinite possibility to be able to happen. Now, so, so there's a way in which Isaac did not try to be, try to be original. He just, tr- he just wanted to be able to get at that stream that Abraham had. Okay? But there came a time in which he got pushed out. He got pushed out of Abraham's domain. And as he moves on, he had to find the spring himself. And when he found the spring himself, he found that the well opened up. Okay? But it was more complex than that. Because after the well opened up, they tried to push him out. That's where the story got really interesting because not only did he get a well, he actually lost the well because of contention. And that's the part of our journey that we don't like. The part of the journey that says we have to not only lean on Abraham's blessing, but we have to have our own, but we also have to fight for it. And we have to fight, fight against people who are against you. And that whole pathway seems different after that. Not only was Isaac getting wells and finding springs, something else needed to happen. He needed to be not only sensitive to, to where the water was, but he needed to be strengthened in God because he was going to be pushed around. He was going to be pushed around and he was going to be pushed into, into more and more um, uh, uh, derelict places, more and more um, dry places. And as he p- got pushed around, he was going to have to look for God again and find God in that dry place again. And he would be accused and he would be, uh, he would be uh, pushed around because of injustice of people. The thing about it is not whether we are gifted so that we can hear from God only, but whether we have character to be able to depend upon God, stand on God, and stay with God in the midst of being pushed around. Now, you may have the gift of prophecy to be able to find water, but do you have the, the gift of being not pushed around? Do you have the gift of staying here and staying with it? And, and in the midst of, 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 uh, of real dry ground, parched ground, not giving up on God. The blessing remains a blessing that does not continue until it becomes an inheritance. The inheritance has to be one. It has to be something that is beyond our own gifting. It has to do with something of having strength in God and being able to find God. It has to do with not just following the tradition of Abraham, but being able to have a a heart for water, a heart for God, so that you can find God. In the midst of what seems like a God-forsaken desert, you have to go and somehow find God. 
Now, that's where inheritance takes place, okay? This is where we go beyond hearing stories, getting edified, being blessed even, and having the fun of it and then the enjoyment or the enjoyableness of ministry. We come into that place where there's nothing. And then there's nothing. God has to bring water out of a dry ground. Job chapter 14, verse 8 and 9 says, there is hope for a tree because even when it's cut down, it will find sprouts and these sprouts will be able to find the scent of water after you've been cut down. It is in the place where we've been cut down where God begins to operate the real stuff. When we come to nothing, if you lose the wells of Abraham, you lose all those other things, lose all the blessings and things turn away from you, that is not the main story. Honestly, that is not really where your inheritance comes. That's a blessing. Your blessing is derivative of someone else's laying down his life for you and for God. But right now, the, the, where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, is where the road is dry. And everything that you want is being taken away from you. Where you feel you've wasted your life and you spend your life for something that doesn't come to anything. May I suggest, suggest to you that actually what Isaac was experiencing is what you and I experience. We are not fooled by the fact that there are great stories and there are miracles and all that. We are not fooled by the fact that until we actually see it for ourselves, all these things remain in the realm of blessing and edification and things that the pews can give to you. You don't need anything besides a pew to sit down and listen, listen to these stories. But there's a point in which God says, I'm going to bring you to the calling. The calling is not the enjoyment. The calling is the calling. I, I remember before I went out um, to plant churches, my church would, would lay hands on me and they would sing this song. So send are you to labor, labor unrewarded. Anybody know the rest of the, of, of the words? To work unsought, unsought. A lot of uns, uns in this, and unknown. To bear rebuke and suffer storm, scorn and scoffing, so send are you to toil for me alone. And there are another five verses of that. As uh, George Whitfield used to say to his, his disciples as he sent them out, go and the devil be with you. It is there that we experience our own stories. Not the borrowed stories of Abraham, but we own, experience our own stories. May I, may I suggest that actually we are right there. We are right there. Where the enjoyment of the Christian life sometimes is not there. And what God is going to do is to take us beyond this kind of assumption of calling that has to do with the enjoyment of, you know, my greatest gift meets the earth's greatest joy. That's, that's not invalid. It's valid. But we don't know what we're talking about. Is when we come to this place where the calling of God that is backed up by His kabod, His glory, has, to do with nothing, has nothing to do with our emotions, our enjoyment, our fun, or our fit. Nothing to do with it. I mean, it has something to do with it, but it's not defined by that. Does that make sense? If you are thinking, I'm going to continue as a Christian because of the joy of, it, of all of it, there will come times in which the joy just dries up, but there will be a different kind of joy that happens. And that's where Psalm 84, when it talks about the highway to Zion, we pass through the valley of Baca. And when we pass through the valley of Baca, we realize there's nothing human that keeps us going. Nothing. Okay, nothing. And if you haven't experienced it, you will. Because it's only in nothing 
that God begins to show up the springs and the rains. Right? And so this is what happens with, with, with Isaac. He gets pushed around. He's, he gets, gets into contention. He gets into enemies and all that. And he hears all kinds of things. And then he comes to this place where he just keeps going. And each time he keeps going, he experiences another well. Another well. And every well gets taken to him up to a certain point. And he says he came to this place called Rehoboth. And when he read, went to Rehoboth, his, he and his people sense water. Sense water. And it could be so easy for him to just not dig another well. But he dug another well. After so many kind of contentious and enemy-ridden experiences, he didn't give up. He dug another well. And lo and behold, nobody came to fight him on that. There's a way in which God takes us, and all we can do is to be faithful, listen to him, call upon him, stick our nose up, and, and allow the, the Holy Spirit to give us sense enough to be able to know where the water is. And sometimes when the tree is cut down, the tree becomes more sensitive. It's fresher across the plain where it's been cut. And when the tree has been cut down, God is sensitizing us to his voice. And if you can overcome every discouragement and hopelessness that makes you want to just not invest anymore, not love anymore, not soul anymore, not spend time with God anymore, there's sprouting and there's fruit waiting for you. There's buds waiting for you. Now, here's the thing. Most people give up. And the world is full of people who have given up. In fact, the majority of people give up. And the majority of people never experience the reality of those stories, those supernatural stories. Because you can imagine why that would happen, right? You're so discouraged. You're so depleted. You're so, you just feel like giving up. You're just so bitter. You feel you, you, you feel you want to just rub, just, you know, rub the, 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 the dust off your feet and just go. You want to let people know what, they, what you, you think of them. You want to know. You want, you, want, you want anger to be stirred up within you because it gives you strength. And if you don't, if you don't, if you stay, and if you stay with your heart towards God, another well will come out. But what God would have done is that He would have given you the muscle of hope, given you the muscle of faith, given you the muscle of strength to be able to dig wells everywhere you go. After a while, people give you, will, will, you will have a reputation of being a well digger in such a way that wherever you go, God does things. And that's exactly what happened with the, 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 the Philistines. When, what happened was that they came around to Him. I'm going to to, to, to um, jump over a few verses, to verse 26. Okay, after Rehoboth, Abelamelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuzat, his advisor, and Fikol, the commander of his armies, and Isaac said to them, why have you come to me seeing that you hate me? <laughs> Poor guy. He's been battered like nobody's business. Seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you. And they see, we see plainly that means even an idiot can see that. Even all flesh can see that. Even an idiot like them. We can see plainly that the, the Lord has been with you. That's the message that comes across. That's the proof. That's the evidence. And that is the gospel. That is the evangel that goes to the, to, the, to the Philistines. We can see that God has been with you. Wow, isn't that amazing? Arguments don't do it, but proof. We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm, <laughs> just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good. Oh, yeah. And have sent you away in peace. You are oh, sent you away in peace. <laughs> um, you are now the blessed of the Lord. And the word there for Lord is Yahweh. So he made them a feast and they ate and drank. In the morning, they rose early and exchanged oaths. Isn't that amazing? That 
the world itself will establish the veracity of your God because of that. May I suggest to you that actually what God wants to do is to actually cause us to be a people who know how to be there, right there. Everything before that is preparation. Everything before that is just baby stuff. It's childlike, it's valid, it's very good, it's all that. But it's not meant to stay there. It's supposed to be taking us to the call. The call of Isaac was not to be a son of Abraham. The call was to be able to do what Abraham was doing. The call that we have is not to listen to stories. Our call is to do the works of God. The call goes beyond being a son of Abraham. The call goes to doing Abrahamic things. Abrahamic things. Not to be a, a disciple of Jesus, but to do work, the works that Jesus has done. But what does it take? It takes standing our ground. It takes being able to have a scent, develop the scent when there's nothing, a scent for water. This is a crumb. It's a crumb that we heard about. It's a crumb. It's a little particle. When you are nothing, you will start looking out for the crumb. You don't look for systemic change. You don't look for structural change. You don't look for people in huge masses doing this and all that. You look for the crumb because the crumb is the substance from which supernatural things happen. Only person who looks for the crumb and can see small enough will do miracles. Not the person who's waiting for systemic things to happen. Not the person who's waiting for everybody to respond and all that and then there's a wave of people doing that. That one is for, 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 for something else. But the one who's able to find a crumb in the midst of total unbelief is the person who's able to take that crumb and put it into action. Had a scent of water. Okay, dig there. Now, I believe that there are two kinds of people that we can talk to. One, who have no time to look for crumbs. They only look for big things. They only look for attractive things, things that everybody else can see. Even as uh, an idiot who's blind can see it. And we become just like that. We only see what other people see. We only see what the world sees. We go by the world's sex. Our inheritance is the inheritance of our culture, of our, our, our ethnicity, of our education. That's our inheritance. And what we have to do is to move beyond that inheritance into the inheritance of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and the inheritance of God. The inheritance of God sees none of that. The inheritance of God will take you and you, your and my total concentration to be able to find the, the still small voice, the low whisper, the thin silence, which you were talking about last week. It will take all your concentration to be able to find that because if you find that and you start sowing into that, Tremendous things will take place. Because, see, God doesn't use people who can only hear the big, big stuff. He uses people who can hear only a small whisper. That means they're leaning into Him drastically, desperately, quietly. Those who can only hear the loud stuff or the things that make sense, it's too late for them. But those who are looking out in the midst of nothing, for that little crumb, that little whisper, that little sound of silence, so to speak, the still small voice, are the ones who get the scent of water. After a while, Isaac became so good at, at scenting, at, at smelling and, and catching the scent of water, he can go anywhere he wanted and he know where, where, where there's water or not. And that's what God is doing to us. Going, doing in us, what he's doing is that he's causing us to, in the midst of the wilderness, find the water. Now, if you're not in the wilderness, if you find water, it's no big deal. Lincoln, Lincoln Water Company can do that better than us. But if you are in a place in which you are poignantly in this oppressed situation, 
you are the bottom of the pile, where you are of the wrong kind, with the wrong ethnicity or the wrong education or the wrong accent, or you are the wrong kind of whatever, when you're there, that's where God wants to show Himself. And that's why your plea is not for everybody to give you a chance. No, your plea is to God. Because God will give you the crumb and the crumb will overcome all the, 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 the oppression around you. As a Christian, we are supposed to find the crumb in the prison or in the, in the desert, in this place. And it's there. But it's only for those who are hungry enough. Amen? I feel that that's, that's, that's how most of words of knowledge come. See, words of knowledge come when you just get a whisper. And you have to be on time as well. When you are desperate for that whisper, it comes, and if you don't pay attention to it, it goes. You know? Now, for that to happen, we have to go into a deeper relationship with God. I understand that for most of us, we are working hard to show that God is an unconditional God. He loves us so much. He's wonderful. He's everything that, 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 that uh, our, our oppressive tradition has told us He's not. Right? But there comes a point in which if you want to get closer to God, it becomes harder, it becomes stricter, it becomes more demanding. He becomes more on you. He becomes more close to you. The same with when I first met my wife. She was very agreeable. I was very agreeable. Nothing needs to be said beyond that. But because of my relationship with her, I've got better. If she was not there, I would not be better. I would think I was pretty good. I'd be like one of Branford Masalis would-be um, musicians. I think I was pretty good. If I'm related to God in that same way in which God's always saying, you're pretty good, you're pretty good, you're pretty good, pretty good, I'll be in an infantile relationship with Him. But if I believe that God has something, He has plans for me and purposes for me, and He wants me to be better, I better believe that God is actually will be on me in a really loving way. And I'll experience love in a very, very different way than just the feel-free way that we tend to impose and project upon God. Amen? And so what God wants to do is to be able to do that. He takes us through. Now, here's the, here's the deal. We become a people hungry for God. We, are not, we have nothing. We are in the midst of the burning desert. There's nothing. There's no motivation. There's no, there's no zeal left. There's no heart for it. There's no heart for it, you know. I've been in situations where I have no heart for ministry, no heart for things. I want to go far, far away from the church. I want to go far, far away from anything that has to do with God or ministry and all that. I just want to be away from it because just the thought of it, the thought that triggers me to discouragement or just wanting to just pack it in. It is in this place that I recognize that all those feelings are quite irrelevant to where I am with God because God is objectively for me whether I feel these things or not. Whether my psychology uh, is, 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 is in good shape or bad, bad shape. The most important thing is this. God is going to take us beyond our feelings, our proclivities, our sense of our own mental health as well. Sometimes you feel you're mad. Feels you're, you're you're just going crazy. You're just feeling this hopeless, just absolutely hopeless. Sometimes you feel you don't even have energy to get out of bed, or even to just take the phone. And the phone rings there, and you, and the moment it rings, your heart just sinks. There is no zeal to do what what God wants to do, but the calling has nothing to do with all that stuff. It has nothing to do with how we feel about it. Calling of God. Depends on God. The calling of God is a singularity which cannot be explained by anything else, any psychology or anything, but it can only be explained by God Himself. And what God does is that He calls us and with all the, 
all the, the weakness that's within us, we just stay and just be faithful. Just keep believing God for the next step in front of us, even though all hope has been lost. Amen? So when I was 22, I went through that. And I found that I have believed in God for revival, believing God for all that, and now having no hope that any of it will happen. All I could do was to just keep going. I remembered a dream that I had had before, before I got sent out. And in that dream, I heard the devil rasping in my, in my, in my, in my ears. When you go, you will be alone. That's where I'll come and get you. That's where I'll come and get you. And I was alone. And every night, I feel I experience bad dreams, nightmares, in which this flying object, personage, would come and press on me. And I would experience just oppression every night, every night. Every night I call out to God. Every night I call God and it would disappear. <laughs> One month, two months, three months of that happening. Me alone in my room, but more alone with nobody else there. The more and more that happened, the more and more I got stronger. The more and more I got stronger. The more and more I was not afraid of these things. In the beginning, I would wake up just petrified, just, fear, just praying desperately. And after a while, I, saw, I would see it coming in my dreams. I'd see the, that spirit is coming. I, I, I can still see, see in, my mind, in my mind's eye coming. And I'll shoot it from before. In fact, there were times when I said, come, come in, come. You're going to regret it. No amount of bravado is just because of God only, only, you know. And things began to happen. I did not know that just a month after this amount, this, this kind of desperate and, and, and difficult period, just a month after that, revival would break out in that town. Miracles would take place. Hundreds of people would come to the Lord. People would park their cars down there and they would come up for prayer. We had to make appointments for them. More and more. There seemed to be no gradual uh, kind of uh, curve it just happened just like that. The point is that when there is no other reason, no selfish reason, no narcissistic reason to follow God and to do His will, that is the time where your calling is called. God says, "Call? are you called? Are you called? Yes. Yes. Praise God. Praise God. The men and women of God that I've seen really used by Him can all point to this period in their life when it happened. And I believe that if you are in that situation, you are blessed. Let us pray. Bless your name, Lord. Glory to your name. In some ways, for some of us, this is, the, this is the worst time to affirm your call from God. And you may not know what the call is because the call really isn't about vocation. It's a call to stand before God, before Him, and to say, Lord, do whatever you want with me. I will continue with you. Bless your name, Lord. Glory to your name. We welcome you, Lord. That you do not need our good feelings to use us. You do not need our enthusiasm to anoint us. But you call us right now. We thank you, Lord, for that privilege of being called even into the Valley of Baca on the way. Praise you, Lord. Consider it pure joy. Consider it pure joy when you face trials and tribulations of many kind. And so, Jesus, we welcome that joy, whether it is from afar or we're already beginning 
to feel the splash of it in our springs. We thank you right now for a joy that is beyond anything we have experienced in this world. Even if we've experienced a little bit, we thank you right now. You have so much more where that came from, that you want us to all be laughing and dancing and clapping. And we just say, yes, Lord, would you do that? We see clearly today, God, that there's another highway that does not take us over the infinite chasm that you're pulling us towards. And so we really ask right now that, Jesus, if there is anyone in this place that has not accepted your call to come to the Savior that, first of all, births us into your kingdom and then sets us on this highway, we just pray with them right now in Jesus' name. If you are this one, just pray, Lord, I thank you. You died to save me, to come across the infinite chasm Mm, so that God on this road right now in this life, I will have a pure joy and an abundant life. I thank you for your resurrection power that's at work in me right now in Jesus' name, a powerful, mighty action. And I surrender to you. We thank you, Lord, that right now, right here, we don't need to know what direction our call is. We just hear the call from you to be with you. So we want to respond to you right now and say, Lord, we want to follow you. Praise the Lord. We're going to take up our cross. Even in times when all we feel is the hardness of the cross, Lord, we say, you Strengthen us right now. Strengthen us right now. Strengthen this church right now. That when things are difficult, that's where the springs will spring up. Bless your name. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.